Hello and welcome to Feminist Fridays, your weekly intersectional dose of self-empowerment and equality. I'm your host, Sarah Liberty, coming to your airwaves from Sydney. And this week we have a guest who is the co-founder and CEO of an AI, artificial intelligence startup, simplemarketing.ai which aims to empower small business owners like herself globally with AI-based tools that help them attract new customers and drive sales. Suzette's area of expertise lies in data science, artificial intelligence and systemization. Are you ready for your head to explode? But before we meet Suzette, We're going to kick off with a track by Lizzo called Phone. Speaking of which, where the hell my phone? Uh, where the hell my phone? Where the hell my phone? Where the hell my, where the hell my phone? Huh? How I'm supposed to get home? Uh, where the hell my phone? Where the hell my phone? Where the hell my, where the hell my phone? Huh? How I'm supposed to get home? Okay, 215 and the lights come on. (laughs) Where my phone? Looking around like where my phone? Looking where my homies with? Where the hell my where the hell my homies went? How I'm supposed to get home? How I'm supposed to get home? Walk, walking home with my feet on sore. Walking home with my feet on sore. What the hell these Louboutins for? What the hell these Louboutins for? Walking home in this damn near foe. Walking home in this damn near foe. What the hell these Louboutins for? What the hell these Louboutins for? Yeah, I was getting it looking real cute. Up in the club, man, how do you do? Uh, hair ain't a don't, hair is a do. Oh, he fine, what's up with you? Where the hell my phone? Hey. Where the hell my phone? Where the hell my, where the hell my phone? Huh? Hey. How I'm supposed to get home? Uh, where the hell my phone? Hey. Where the hell my phone? Where the hell my, where the hell my phone? Huh? Hey. How I'm supposed to get home? Okay. Ooh, unlock that all up in my contacts. 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 Hi, Suzette. Welcome to Feminist Fridays. Thanks for having me. So let's kick off by 
asking a bit about where you grew up and what your early influences were. So I actually was an army brat and so I moved around a lot and I'm, I went to, I've lived in the US, I've lived in the UK, uh, but predominantly in Australia, I lived in either Melbourne or uh, Canberra and in fact I ended up staying in Canberra after I finished school uh, because that's sort of being a great place to raise kids and things. So I had quite a bit of a, a varied um, sort of childhood of locations. But um, I was always interested in science and that sort of led to me getting into IT after working with the quarantine service for a number of years and uh, being told by my my boss at the time, uh, you can go and do this thing called IT. And that's sort of how I got into sort of IT in the first place. Fascinating. Well, we already have a few things in common. I moved around a lot as a kid, but because my dad's a, a farmer and a farm manager, and I've lived in uh, the UK, the States, France, and Indonesia, so I kind of know what it's like to live on a few different continents. Um, before we talk about your current work running simplemarketing.ai, I wanted to ask what your earliest memory of using computers and the internet were. Was yours a dial-up situation like mine? It most definitely was. And in fact, actually, my earliest was when I, I think I always had a bit of an interest in, in IT for a very long time because um, when I was uh, sort of very young, I actually was teaching myself how to code and I was uh, using even before dial-up. Um, wow. And that sort of thing. So um, I was definitely involved in dial-up when it came out and the internet in that point, but uh, I'd been involved with computers a little bit earlier than that. So I have been told that you're a unicorn. You have a science major, but then you did find success in IT business building despite some health challenges. So I'm going to guess that the IT industry was fairly novel when you were studying science. When did you realise, you sort of touched on this a bit already, but when did you decide that it was the career path you were really passionate about pursuing? It's an interesting way um, because I actually was working for the quarantine service. I was actually uh, assessing applications to bring in biological materials at the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, the vet at the time who he sort of said, oh, you can go and you know, deal with this with the internet and everything. And I sort of went along and I, I really liked um, IT at that time. I was helping people at that point. And one of the things that even though I loved genetics and biochemistry, which is the, the sort of where my science degree is in, I was really, really bad at practical. So I was not great in a lab. And mm -hmm. so I had a bit of a choice of either um, being stuck at a particular level in science um, and not being able to move forward or jumping across to IT, which is this new, this sort of new frontier yeah. where I, I was able to sort of go much further without actually having to worry about um, playing in a lab. <laughs> I wanted to just ask before we go into your areas of expertise with your business, can you share with us about the types of health challenges you faced and how you've remained resilient in the face of them? 
There's probably, I mean, I've had the normal sort of um, standard sort of colds and those sort of things, but the two big ones uh, was one was in 2008 and I, I was... I moved across to IT and I started an IT consulting company in Canberra and being sort of a female-led IT company in Canberra was a bit of an interesting situation. And when I got to 2008 and I actually went to a uh, I was um, a speaker at a, a prestigious conference down in Melbourne mm-hmm. and I woke up the day after the conference and was covered in hives. Didn't really think much about it and went off to, to go and see the doctor, but within a couple of days I was actually hospitalised. Wow. And I didn't re- um it actually turned into a very much a, uh, a major allergic reaction and was actually in, in hospital for almost two weeks and it took me a good 12 months to get over it. Wow. And so it, it um, created a lot of problems for me. I hadn't, um, even though I my background was systems and, and getting other you know, large organisations to systemise the business, I, I was sort of like the, the, the mechanic with the broken down car didn't look after my own business so Mm. it sort of put a lot of pressure on me um, developed a big tax debt which I then sort of had to develop a a payment plan to get you know sort of overcome that but then when I had the second time um, that was a few years ago actually just before COVID in 2019 that one because I had actually been through it before even though it was a serious illness at that point uh, the impact wasn't as severe because I, I I had my business at that point working so that it was relatively independent of me and it meant that um, the impact of it was was much less than it had been that first time so I definitely learned from my mistakes yeah wow so do you know what the allergic reaction was too? Because I'm someone who gets allergies to things quite easily. I've got the redhead complexion and, yeah, some half the things I touch basically <laughs> make me go itchy or something like that. But do you know what happened? I was, um, I actually had that discussion, you know, with my sort of background in in genetics and biochemistry, I was really intrigued as to what had happened from a medical Mm. perspective. So I actually had the chat with an immunologist and it turns out that I was probably one of about six people every year that they they get where they just don't know. And what it was, it sort of like described to me as a perfect storm. There was probably not one allergen, it was probably the interaction of a couple of two or three, because um, I've only had that sort of kind of reaction about three times in my life and thankfully now I know when it comes I can actually deal with it before it puts me in hospital but that first time it came completely out of the blue in fact my mother actually was at the the same conference and took one look at the hives that day and started calling me a drama queen until she actually saw it and then then took me off to the doctor so it was quite an interesting situation of uh, you know um, going and thinking it wasn't a particularly big thing and then finding out that it was actually quite severe yeah yeah Oh, well, I'm very glad that you, you know, you know, got through that, obviously, and you've, yeah, learned some coping mechanisms and ways to address it before it gets worse if it ever happens again. So I wanted to also, so I know your area of expertise lies in data science, artificial intelligence and systemization. Despite the fact that I run an NGO dedicated to online human rights, I'm no scientist. I do, however, know about some of the trends, 
pros and cons relating to artificial intelligence. What excites you most about this area? And what are some of the newest developments you're seeing that are helping businesses or other entities to harness? Probably the thing that really excites me the most is the fact that this kind of technology is really good at helping us to to do the sort of tasks that we hate doing. You know, as humans, we're we're messy, inconsistent geniuses, and AI is sort of consistent. Um, structured processes and so when we actually put the two together we get the AI doing the grunt work and us doing the finesse work and for me that really excites me where the opportunities for us to be able to things that we don't particularly like doing we can get the you know and that are repetitive we get the AI to do it and then we can come in and actually do the the more interesting finessing that um, us as humans are usually better at. And when you say the things that humans are not necessarily you know interested in or wanting to do so much what are some examples of that would you say things like admin cleaning like give me some examples Absolutely right. Those are all great examples. Um, driving, you know, if we're, we live in a country where there's a lot ah, yes. of space in between. Um, so things, you know, that we're, we're doing the same task over a long period of time. Mm. There's a, um, a supermarket in, in UK that actually has this massive big warehouse. And when they people do online shopping with them, it actually has a combination of robots and AI do all the picking of the actual groceries in the packing and the humans do the uh, the, the more uh, especially the work in that in these warehouses but majority of the the repetitive tasks are taken care of by the AI and the robot um, and even in, in what we do with simple marketing which is my my new company we as humans we get bored writing this about the same thing over and over again and and around you know and, and marketing is one of those things where you've got to sometimes talk about the same topics multiple times and we can get bored with that whereas AI doesn't get bored mm-hmm. true true you know it is making me think of black do you watch black mirror I am very familiar with it yes oh yes yes it's, there's some good episodes there's some happy episodes and there's some scary episodes but um, so now that, leading on to that, I'm going to ask you the opposite question. What are some of the challenges out there or perhaps maybe concerning trends that you would encourage people to be aware of or to avoid? Um, or perhaps even some of the most common mistakes you see being made when people try to use AI? I think even using that UK example as the um, with the AI and the robots, um, they currently have staff doing some of those finesse jobs where you know picking up uh, fruit and things like that. But they've got robots that they're trying to teach how to actually pick up these delicate fruit standing next to them. And one of the the gentlemen, you know, sort of was asked, "How do you feel about this robot being taught your job?" And he said, "Well, I'm actually okay with that because I've seen how it works, and it's not that good at it yet. And by the time it." <laughs> And by the time it does know, um, it's going to, you know, I'm learning to be an engineer. And I think that for me really resonated with the fact that we, you know, as humans, we need, you know, we're in a time of change. And mm. AI and robotics 
you know, we can we can put our head um, in the sand and and hope it goes away, but the reality is it's not, and it's no. going to increase more. And the thing with it is, is as humans, you know, I keep getting a lot of, oh, you know, AI is going to take my jobs. Well, AI is going to take a proportion of people's jobs. But we need to adapt and we can reskill in other areas like the the the, the guy in the actual supermarket. Yeah. The, the other big one um, with AI particularly is the ethics. I mean, you mentioned Black Mirror and yeah. a lot of those sort of things, you know, it talks about the positive and the negative. And, and like us as humans, there's definitely a positive and a negative to AI and how it, you know, and in itself it's a tool. It can be used mm -hmm. well and it can be used badly. And unfortunately mm -hmm. there's also a lot of unconscious bias that has been yes. put into AI um, unwittingly through yes. just the way people train it yes. and that sort of yes. thing. Yeah. You know, that's a really good point because I was actually going to ask you, I have been doing a bit of research lately and writing some opinion pieces um, relating to Facebook and Instagram's recent announcements about how their algorithms work with news feeds and them talking about how they use, uh, you know, aspects of AI. Um, the algorithms are built by humans, but then um, the kind of content moderation is not necessarily all managed by humans. Like it's just too much of a huge job to go through all of that kind of content. So what's your position, I guess, on the kind of ethics with regards to content moderation on online platforms and how that might be, I guess, AI might be involved. Back to that, um, for me, I think, you know, like humans are not great at some tasks on our own. We get bored and we can get, you know, we can make mistakes. Conversely, AI does the same thing when left on its own completely. And I think the problem with content, some platforms with content moderation, is that the it's actually not sophisticated enough to know the nuances sometimes. Mm. And I think it, you know, that having that oversight from humans and coming back to how, you know, us as humans, we need to start to think about how we reskill in these areas mm. um, to work for, and even the concept of, um, you know, some people's roles may be to actually not manage staff anymore, but manage different AI processes. Mm. And I think content moderation is one of those areas that uh, there's a, there's a huge, huge amount of opportunity but there's also a huge amount of risk mm. um yeah and one of those opportunities is for instance at the moment a lot of people don't realize that you know there's a lot of human um employees in facebook um and those sort of like platforms that have to watch some very questionable uh, content mm. to, to moderate it. So AI technology can help to remove the burden of those humans. At the same time, you know, sort of there are situations where the AI gets it wrong yeah. and having that escalation process is very critical to the, um, to the overall, uh, I think, success of the process. Mm. And, you know, I think, you know, one of the things that, I'm certainly not anti-tech, I'm not anti-social media, I'm, I'm very much engaged with it. But I think what I'd like to know more about and hope, you know, becomes um, more widely spread is that the people who are developing algorithms are 
trained in things like diversity and inclusion and equality so that uh, the kind of that artificial intelligence or the moderation that happens, which isn't directly controlled by humans, doesn't kind of censor the voices of diverse people, if you kind of understand what I mean. Well, I actually agree with you, but I actually also think it needs to go further than that. Yeah. I think it's not just about the training of people in diversity, but it's understanding even some of the unconscious bias that's all, um, that's yeah. implemented. Um, for example, uh, it's been shown that a number of the uh, sort of online uh, music applications have had inherent bias towards male sing um, singers because... Mm they were trained on male singers and when people come in and actually selected their topics because a lot of the original people who would test these applications were male they some um had a predisposition to selecting male artists at that time and so the ai learned over time that well male artists artists must be therefore popular and so it's actually building in the ability to actually discern that through the actions of even how a, um, an AI is trained may actually bring inherent bias because mm. over time, you know, um, they bring, that is even added more that when somebody new comes in to, and actually selects some music, they're only being served up potentially a higher proportion of male artists, which then perpetuates that entire whole problem. Yeah. No, I completely agree with you there. And that's definitely, you know, a topic that unconscious bias that I'm um, very fascinated by. Um, and that was, you know, I just recently wrote an op-ed about that. Um, but I wanted to also ask, what are some examples of the people that you're engaging with, with your business? And how do you know that you're creating change? So for me, um, Simple Market, probably taking a step back and sort of giving you a sort of the, the genesis of Simple Market because I think mm -hmm. it really goes to answering that question. Simple Marketing came about through me, as I mentioned, you know, running an IT consulting business with working with the Australian Federal Government yeah. and being a scientist. So I had very much a third-person type view. So yeah. I actually um, wrote, I couldn't write marketing um, copy or content to save my life. Right. And then um, with the advent of AI, I was able to bring uh, that real deep understanding of the difficulty that a lot of business owners have in that area with my other my specialty with um, the information management sector and so now what we're finding is that we're working with a lot of organizations where we're tailoring solutions for them so we have a number of um, very large competitors um, particularly in the US and a lot of them are going with the buffet style so pretty much um, all you can eat type style of you go in and you get a whole range of different options and you've got to choose which one you that may best fits you so we're going with much more of a tailored approach and that gives us that ability to really get to understand how an organization is going to use the information that's being generated by the AI and how it fits in with an overall process and it's really important to me that we that you know the AI is being used as a productivity tool not as a replacement or automation tool Mm. I also just wanted to ask that, you know, the, despite the fact that is, it's 2021 and we conduct most of our daily lives online now, 
I know that a lot of small businesses and bigger businesses still have a degree of technophobia. So would you say that's something that you witness very often? And if so, what might be some simple ways to start to overcome this? I, I think I could, uh, you know, almost be a millionaire if I, I got a um, a dollar for every time somebody said to me, AI is scary. Yeah. Um, and I think it, to me it's not so much that AI is scary as that change is scary and us as humans don't particularly like change so much and uncertainty. And we really are going through the next industrial revolution at the moment. Um, so in regards to, you know, the people being concerned about that, yeah, absolutely, you know, there is a lot of change going through and and people can um embrace that and they those kind of pe- those people are going to probably be more successful in in transitioning the people who are not quite so um you know able to change or, or are more reluctant they're going to need some more support and that side of it and and through and this is where i come back to you know the the intersection of ai and humans together is the important thing having a completely you know replacing a um human functions with ai i think it brings its own inherent risks so i think it's about making sure that organizations are ethical about how they actually implement ai and that they actually do good change management both within their organization but also you know within the community as well i understand also that your passion is working with small business owners who are struggling not only with perhaps it related or ai related issues but also personal and family health challenges to achieve sustained success despite the odds so when it comes to your family life what odds have you been up against and how have you risen above them? So we talked about the when I got sick on those two occasions. Um, but another part of it was uh, splitting up with my first husband and having, you know, sort of having two kids and being a single mum running an IT consulting company. Um, so that brought its own challenges. Uh, thankfully, I had a good relationship still with it, their father, so it, it didn't have the antagonism unfo- you know, that some people unfortunately have. So I think for me, you know, sort of being aware that business owners are not you know we're not independent of of the community we're not independent of our family you know what by improving the life of a business owner and being able to make them more sustainable actually benefits everybody it benefits their themselves their family uh the their employees and their families as well as the greater community and for me i think that's really important around supporting them and giving them the ability because too many business owners fail um and a lot of and in trying to learn new techniques technology with everything else that they have to do and this this expectations that business owners need to be you know need to know everything I think is a um, is a very very um, difficult uh, pill to swallow for a lot of people yeah and I think you know it can be very overwhelming especially when it comes to technology my my mom is a school teacher and she's fortunate enough um that she is often, she's in the public system, so she receives a lot of training. But, you know, it it still is exhausting for her because she'll have to, at the moment, she's doing remote teaching, so she's got to learn how to 
send kids reports and stuff, like do Zoom classrooms. She uses Google Suite. She's never done any of that kind of thing before. But, you know, I'm really proud of her. But still, my parents don't know how to listen to my podcast. They can't figure out that. So it's really funny. Um, I think it goes back to what you were saying about supporting people through that kind of, you know, self uh, development journey. Absolutely right. And I think there's that aspect of you, you know, we as a society sometimes forget that uh, there's all this change and that you know, it's great and it's fantastic, but it can also be very, very destabilizing for mm-hmm. people who are not you know comfortable with that change and you know that to provide this you know and they do need additional support um yeah yeah and one of the most you know i know a few statistics around the online realm are two things that do concern me that i'm really passionate about creating change around are that 2.5 million australians are still not online don't have access to the internet and also people over 65 are the least engaged and the most digitally isolated. Um, so I think, you know, supporting people, whether it's people from remote regional areas, whether it's people from, you know, cultural and linguistically different backgrounds, whether it's el- more elderly people in the community, we need to think about ways to include them. And I do see that sometimes at my local library, not that it's open at the moment, but, um, yeah, I really hope that, you know, that kind of support will, sounds like you're already working on it and I'm working on it, so that people like us, you know, will help to create that change so that everyone can start to enjoy the technology that we do. That's where I think things like AI can really come to the fore because, like, for instance, we're working with a community-based organisation here in Canberra where we're talking to them about converting some complex content for them um, into easy-to-understand content for their, their staff that are doing things like family daycare because they come from usually, you know, in a lot of cases of migrant backgrounds who may not, you know, English is a second language. They may not necessarily have um, a lot of written skills, for instance, and, you know, expecting them to understand or even other, you know, sort of people who are not um, highly educated to understand very corporate documentation in itself can actually build a divide between the people who can and who can't. So helping to you know, AI, I think, can be used quite um, effectively to help bridge that gap. Well, that's so exciting. So as this is a feminist segment, how has feminism been a part of your journey? And just for clarity's sake, I'm an intersectional feminist. So for me, feminism is basically about equality for all, not just women's rights. Look, I mean, just pretty much as what I was saying a minute ago about, uh, you know, helping people who are disadvantaged for whatever reason and mm. providing that diversity, I think, is a is a really big area that I'm a, a big supporter um, of. Having been a, uh, my, other, my IT consulting company has its 22nd birthday this year. So wow. being a, a female CEO of an IT consulting company for 20 plus years in, you know, in uh, a, what is essentially a, a male dominant 
dominated feel was, you know, it had brought its own challenges. Um, but interestingly enough, because of that, uh, it's led me to be, you know, sort of really supportive of uh, women and girls in STEM or science, technology, engineering yes. and math for the people who are not familiar with the STEM um, acronym. And, uh, you know, fingers that you know. I'm clicking my fingers in support. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, I think, and it's it's us being able to, all of us together, supporting each other, not just, yeah. you know, as you say, not just women only, but all of us um, being able to help for whatever the disadvantage and, and being, seeing through that. Because I think for me, diversity through um, ethnicity, through gender, through and other other means actually brings so much more to the table than it does um, that it takes away. Amen. I mean, with, with the work that I do and the board that I've selected, I've deliberately gone and chosen as many diverse people as possible, not, you know, not to appear tokenistic, but because I truly believe that having, you know, a person with a disability, a transgender board member, an Indigenous board member, um, you know, someone who's very much into tech and is a bit of a nerd, um, I've just recruited a university professor. I think just having that kind of diversity of opinion and perspective is just so important and is, is good business. Like it just means that you can reach a broader audience and you can really understand and um, you know, not just talk about equality, diversity, inclusion, but walk the talk. So. I totally agree with everything you just said. So it's a very big thing for me. And at one stage, and I must admit, we're not quiet at the moment because we've had a, a staff member who was an intern move on to another one. But at one stage, uh, we even had 70% of our developers in, our, in the company were actually female. Awesome. Uh, so yeah, so we're, you know, people are employed based on their abilities, not uh, any for any other reason. Yeah. I just wanted to ask one more question which is your chance to plug, where can our listeners find you, follow you and connect with you if they want to start embracing all the world that data, AI and systems have, have to offer? So feel free to mention your website or any social media profiles or anything else here. Thank you. Well, the company is simplemarketing.ai, so we that's our website where you mm -hmm. can go and actually uh, get a either a free account to to try us out, and then uh, we've got the the packages. We're also on Facebook and LinkedIn, but you can also reach out to me personally um, on LinkedIn as Suzette Bailey. Um, mm -hmm. Being an early adopter of IT, I managed to get Facebook um, and uh, LinkedIn as well as SuzetteBailey.com. Uh, I do will say though a, a Charleston realtor in New, North Carolina in the New, in the US got the Twitter account which I was okay with because I had no interest <laughs> with, with Twitter. Uh, me and Twitter don't get along, but otherwise yes. Yeah, so so I'm very easy to find, and uh, people are welcome to reach out either to the company or to myself to me personally. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us. Um, more about how you know the opportunities around ai and your story which is very inspiring so congratulations on all of your work 
And thank you so much for joining us on Feminist Fridays. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Well, that has been another mind-blowing episode of Feminist Fridays for this week. But before you tune out, I'm going to leave you with a track by Miley Cyrus called Edge of Midnight. And I hope this keeps you kicking on till midnight too, my friends. Yeah, it's been a long night and the mirror's telling me to go home. But it's been a long time since I felt this good on my own. A lot of years went by with my hands tied up in your ropes. Forever and ever, no more. The midnight sky is the road I'm taking. Can't buy